let's dive in. We are continuing now our study of Matthew's gospel, and we're going to finish up Matthew chapter 11 today, looking at verses 25 through 30. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. Feel free to stand up, grab one of those. We've got notes in the foyer. Please take both of those things home with you. We want to make sure that you have the, the Word of God in your hand and my notes for, um, for today's uh, sermon as well. As you turn to um, Matthew chapter 11, let me review because last Sunday was a, it was a heavy topic. It was a controversial topic. Jesus taught us about hell. He taught us about judgment. Um, now, Jesus, he, you know, when you think fire, I'm sorry, when you, when you think about judgment and hell, many people think fire and brimstone. Well, Jesus didn't go all fire and brimstone on us. He simply laid out the fact that there is a reality of judgment that is coming for people who refuse to receive God's grace through Jesus Christ, his son. Um, let me give you a couple key points from last Sunday. We learned that the more that we know about the gospel, the more we know about God's word, the greater our responsibility is to share the gospel. And also the greater God's judgment for those who refuse God's gift of grace. Key point number two, we learn that the greatest mistake a person will ever make is thinking that he will escape God's judgment. And then I, I ended uh, last Sunday with three truths about God's judgment. Number one, there will be a judgment. Many people don't believe in hell or the doctrine of hell and how can a loving God send people to hell and all of that. We talked about that. Um, we learned that there are also degrees of punishment in hell. And number three, we learned that indifference, just ignoring God, is one of the, the greatest sins that anyone can ever commit. Now, that's a, a review from... Last week, and just so y'all know, we, we do have the, these sermons and these messages on the website or on the app, and if you missed that one, if you weren't able to come, I do want, because of the subject matter, I do want you to, I would encourage you to go back and watch that this week. Well, today, Jesus switches the topic, and everybody's like, man, not great. No more hell and judgment. Um, yeah, he, he moves from the subjects of judgment and hell to one of the greatest mysteries anyone can ever wrap their brain around, um, and it's the mystery of salvation. Now, we know Scripture tells us that salvation is a gift of grace from God. It's, it's by faith alone, by grace alone, and it's through Christ alone. But we also know that we as sinners, we have a a responsibility to accept and to believe this gospel message. So how are these two, how are these two things reconciled? Is it, is it more God and less us, or is it more us and little less God? How do these, how do these things two uh, come together as one? Well, we're going to talk about that. And then lastly, we're going to see Jesus present the gospel message and invite people to salvation. Today's passage really is God's gospel presentation through Jesus. And it is amazing. Um, because guys, look, these are the, the most important words we'll ever hear. Is Jesus, God himself, inviting us to rest. So if you would, please stand now for the reading 
and the honoring of God's word. So we sang those songs together as a church. Let's read God's word together as a church, uh, starting in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Guys, these are the words from the Lord this morning. They are infallible. They are beautiful. They are Holy Spirit-inspired. I pray that we hear them as such. Please pray with me. The psalmist writes, Blessed be the Lord. He proclaims it. Blessed be the Lord. Why? Because day after day, He bears our burdens. God is our salvation. Father, we praise You that You are our salvation. You're, you're the one who gives us eternal life. You're the one who delivers us from all of our sin. I pray, Lord, that you would soften our hearts at this moment to receive the scripture passage for today and show us what you want us to do with it this week. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat. Thank you, guys. All right, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and revealed them to infants. So at that time, um, that's when the 72 disciples returned back from a mission trip. Matthew doesn't mention this. Uh, Luke does, though. And these disciples, what they're doing is they're celebrating the success of the mission. They, they did what we do today. Uh, apart from the apostolic miracles, they were sharing Jesus day by day. So they come back, and in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, we read the, the narrative here. The 72, they returned with joy. And they're saying, Jesus, Lord, you're not going to believe this. Even the demons submit to us in your name. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Even the demons. Look what Jesus says. Can you just picture Jesus smiling? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I watch Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, guys, I, I, I've given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and, and you've got the power over the enemy. Yeah. No, nothing's going to harm you. But look at this. Don't rejoice that these demonic spirits submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Wow. What's Jesus talking about there? 
Well, the book of Revelation talks about God having a book of life. So if Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior this morning, guess what? Your name is written in that book. But according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, if your name is not written in the book, and this goes back to last week with what Jesus was talking about with judgment and hell, there's also this book of death. It's not a, a literal book of death, but Revelation 20:15 says that that person will be thrown into a lake of fire. But regardless, after saying these things about the book of life, Jesus starts to pray. And this is amazing. Look at this. Verse 25. Jesus says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Look at the first thing that Jesus does. He starts to praise the Father. Now, I, I mentioned last week how, uh, how fun it is to see the Old Testament and the New Testament come together like hand in glove. And, and we literally see that almost every single Sunday. But here we see it again. Jesus' prayer, it's similar to Daniel's prayer when King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream from God and no, nobody could interpret it. So God reveals this dream to, to Daniel. Now, that word reveals is critical today. God reveals these things. He discloses these things. He, he brings things to light. God brings things that he makes things fully known. He brings mysteries um, to our, our mind. He answers these kind of questions. So look at the prayer here that Daniel prayed, and we're going to compare it to what Jesus prayed. Daniel 2.19 the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of the heavens. And he, he declared, may the name of God be praised forever and ever. For wisdom and power, they belong to him. He changes the times and the seasons. He's the one that removes kings and establishes kings. He's the one that gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals, there's that word again, he reveals the deep and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. So Father, I, I, I offer thanks and I praise you. You're the God of my ancestors because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me know what we've asked of you for you have let us know the king's mystery. That's what revelation is. It's, it's, uh, it makes mysteries known. So the only way for anyone to know or understand God and to understand God's ways if God chooses to reveal these things. So Jesus says, back to verse 25, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and the earth. Notice he glorifies God the Father for his sovereignty. He is the Lord of the heaven and the earth. God is sovereign. Sovereignty. There's a lot of definitions for sovereignty. Let me give you one so we're all on the same page here. God's sovereignty is, the, is his absolute right to do anything and everything according to his own good pleasure. Isn't that good? God is sovereign. He has the absolute right to do anything and everything according to his good pleasure. So God is the creator. The entire cosmos runs uh, according to his perfect and his good will. 
Jesus continues, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Why? Because you've hidden these things. So I've got a question. What are these things that Jesus is talking about? Well, the short answer is the gospel. It's the truth of the gospel. So don't miss this. This is huge. Jesus is praising God the Father for his gift and his control over salvation. Once again, salvation is a big, big word. Let's, let's define that and make sure that we're all on the same page here. When you, when you hear salvation, eternal life, right? But really, it's, it's also deliverance. It's a way for God to deliver us from the power and the effects of our sin. That's what salvation is. It brings us to key point number one. So this idea of eternal life or salvation or heaven, it is solely a gift of grace from God. It is a gift of grace from God. Salvation is not a result of our effort to try to find the truth. See, God makes it crystal clear in his word that we on our own, we cannot, we will not ever come to understand anything from God. Salvation, in other words, salvation cannot externally be discovered. It is only revealed by a good and gracious father. Someone once said that the heart is the home of the gospel, right? It's not our heads. We're not going to figure this stuff out through knowledge, especially through worldly knowledge. It's only by God's grace, and, and it's by his grace that he personally, think about this, Almighty God personally reveals these things to us. Hello, have you met us? We're a mess. I can't get over that. So revelation is, is a gift here. There are two types of revelation. Uh, the first is called general revelation. This is, this is where you, you kind of look around and, and you see God's creation and you know that God created this stuff. Let me give you a formal definition once again. General revelation. It's God's witness of himself through the creation to his creatures. It's God's witness of himself through the creation to his creatures. Psalm 19 says this, verse 1. The heavens, they, they don't just say, they proclaim the glory of God. Don't you love that? They, they, they scream the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. I was listening to, a, I was either listening to a radio interview or I heard a, this story. Anyway, I, I was, these two guys were debating on whether God exists. And they're just, you know, they're just talking heads. And, and the, the radio show host, he, uh, he takes a caller. And these two men that were talking, very educated men, um, from the world's perspective, they knew what they were talking about. They were famous men. They, they wrote books. They're smart guys. Well, the caller, you could just tell, did not have the education that these men have. And she goes, look. I don't know why you guys are even arguing about this. All you have to do is just look around. All you have to do is look around. Amazing, isn't it? But see, Jesus is not referring to general revelation here when he says revealed. He is referring to a personal revelation. It's a specific revelation. So personal re revelation, that's the gospel. 
This is when we have an aha moment in our life. It's when a person repents from their sin and we trust in Jesus as, as our Lord and our Savior. I was, uh, I was watching an interview from Paul Washer. Paul Washer is kind of this famous guy on YouTube, very theologically sound kind of guy. And he was, he was at a conference one time and he could tell this one guy that came was having a really hard time. He did not believe in the gospel. He did not believe that Jesus was God. He started to talk to him and he, this man's life was a mess. And we've all been there, right? He, his life was a mess and he had all these doubts. And Paul said, look, I'm going to cancel my flight tomorrow so I can spend the day with you showing you and, and, and showing you the gospel. Are you willing to do that? And the guy said, yeah, yeah. So they came back. Paul spends couple hours with him, and he gets to John 3.16. He starts to read John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the guy goes, aha! Paul goes, aha what? He goes, Jesus is God. And Paul said, what are you talking about? He said, don't you know that Jesus is God's son? And he starts to evangelize Paul. He had his aha moment, and that's the personal, that's the, that's the uh, specific revelation that Jesus is talking about at this moment. I love that story. Don't you know? Don't you know? So Jesus, well, yeah, he, he's referring to this personal revelation, and, and here's the revelation. God the Father has, has chosen people to reveal these things to himself. He calls people with a supernatural calling, the supernatural revelation of grace that only comes through his son, Jesus Christ. We, we saw this with uh, the apostle Peter, didn't we? Uh, Peter had a supernatural revelation on the identity of, of, of Jesus. Jesus asked the, his disciples, he said, hey guys, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just kind of curious. Who do people say that I am? Peter replied, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Did he say, wow, Pete, you're a really smart guy. Is that what he said? No. He said, oh, oh, Peter, you are blessed. Because my father in heaven, he has, here's that word again, he's revealed it to you. So back to our, our gospel text here in verse 25. Jesus is praying. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent. So here we see God the Son praise God the Father for hiding the gospel from certain people. What kind of you know, evangelism strategy is that? We would say, Jesus, you're doing it all wrong. Why would, why would the Father hide the gospel from certain people? The short answer, because of pride. Proud people reject the gospel because they already know there is to know about God. People who are wise in their own eyes, they depend on man's wisdom. They ignore God's. These people include religious people, for sure. Religious people... You know, these folks, have, they've already read God's word. They, they understand it, you know, with their own methods of interpretation. And they've, they've created this religious system that does not include Jesus. 
Now, it also includes people who are wise from the world's perspective. These folks have a very impressive resume, according to the world's standards. Uh, Unfortunately, though, they, they put their faith in psychology or medicine, philosophy, science, it doesn't matter. But what they're doing is they're demanding proof that God exists to come from their own method. God, you've got to prove yourself to me through the way that I say that you need to prove yourself. Basically, they're setting their own standards. And it's because of their pride that Jesus praises the Father for, and look at this, verse 25, revealing the gospel to infants. Jesus thanked God the Father that the first step to salvation is humility. A baby is totally dependent on his parents. A baby has no skills, no knowledge, no money to help himself. So when Jesus says infant here, it's, we have to come to him with a childlike faith. It's not an accident that the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, blessed are the humble for the kingdom of heaven. That's theirs. See, the, the kingdom of heaven, it only belongs to humble people. Now, you can be really, really smart and humble. That's good. Or you can be not so smart and humble. But the key word here, guys, is humility. It's only when God reveals our moral bankruptcy does, does God offer his grace to us to be saved. Why is that? Well, Romans 3.23, the, uh, the Apostle Paul says, We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The glory, the perfection of God. You don't need Jesus as long as you're perfect. Isn't that good news? <laughs> you know, Jesus' illustration of a baby, it points to those who think they can save themselves by their own human wisdom, their money, their resume, uh, compared to those who know that they can't. See, salvation is only by grace alone. By faith alone, through Christ alone. Why is that? Because this is God's plan. And God's plan brings God glory. Did you know that there's nowhere in Scripture that Scripture apologizes for the plan of salvation? Why is that? Because God never has to apologize for anything. He's perfect. His ways are always perfect. They are always right. So let me give you an illustration here of what I'm talking about. There's this guy named Nicodemus. Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus, and he gives Nick this huge compliment. They're having this conversation in John chapter 3, and Jesus says, you know, Nick, you're, you're the teacher in all of Israel, meaning you're the guy. You're the best teacher is in the entire nation. You're the guy. And yet, with Nick's religious training, with his knowledge, He could not grasp the teaching that unless one is born again, you can't come to the kingdom of God. Even after Jesus explained it, Jesus explained it. Nicodemus still could not understand. See, what Nicodemus had to do is he had to go all the way back to become a spiritual infant. 
he had to put aside all of his human knowledge, all of his training. Um, he had to come to Christ as a baby with no pride at all. Key point number two for us this morning, God first chooses his people and then we respond to his call. God first chooses his people and we respond to his call. See, God gives a, a general revelation of himself to everyone, to all of creation. But God gives his personal revelation to those that he chooses. And we see this played out in the, in, as we study the Gospels, don't we? The Father revealed the truth to the 12 disciples, but not the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, many people say, well, time out. That's just not fair. Wait a minute. I mean, they accuse God of being unjust. But the reality is that every person deserves justice. Right? We've all sinned. That perfect bar of justice, it demands that sin be paid for by spending eternity in a very real place called hell. That's what Jesus taught us last week. So God never treats anyone unfairly. He, he chooses some. He passes over others. He does give more to, to some people compared to others. And guys, that's not unfair. That's just called grace. Jesus revealed this grace in a parable. Uh, it's called the parable of the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. Long story short, there's this vineyard owner. He, hires, he goes and he hires some workers early in the morning. He goes around noon, hires some more. And again, around evening, he hires more, uh, some more workers. And then when the time came, he starts paying the workers. And the folks in the morning, they started to complain because they got the same exact wage um, that the guys only worked a few hours in the afternoon, so they started to complain. We do the same thing, don't we? Well, that's not fair. I mean, this guy, he's been working 10 hours out in the sun. These guys only worked 90 minutes. How's that fair? That's not fair. And then Jesus asked this question. It's in the parable. He says, hey, wait, time out. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? Wow. See, we see God's gift of grace allocated unequally every single day in our lives. Some people are smarter. Some people are taller or prettier or have more money. And we may think, well, wait a second, this is all unfair. But guys, God is a God of variety. God has predestined things to happen in our lives. Romans chapter 8. And once again, we hear that and we go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Don't I determine my own destiny here? Aren't I the captain of my ship? What about free will? Free will. Look, guys, the only free will we have as sinners is what kind of sin we're going to choose. That's the only free will we got. Key point number three, we don't choose God, God chooses us. We don't choose God, God chooses us, and it is our responsibility to believe once that revelation has been made. 
If we think we choose God, what happens is we steal God's glory. We steal his grace and his mercy. This doctrine of of salvation, it is offensive unless it's true. And guys, if it's true, this is the greatest gift. These are the best words we will ever hear. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 9. He's saying, is God unfair? He just said, is God unfair by doing this? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone that I choose. Circle that word, those words, I choose. And I will show compassion to anyone that I choose. Little sermon in a sermon here. If you've never read scripture from cover to cover, and looked for those two words where God says, I choose. Uh, take a special color highlighter and just do that. You will be blown away by how many times God says, I choose. Verse 16, Paul says, so it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. So if we object to God's mercy, we object to God's holiness and his sovereignty. So once again, God does as God pleases. And one of the many things that God pleases to do is he hides things from us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. So we are not accountable for those. But we are, we and our children, we are accountable forever for for those that he has revealed to us. So, for example, we don't don't know how God created the universe, right? We just know that he did, Genesis 1. We don't know why God chose to make a covenant with a guy named Abraham, but he did. We don't know why God chose Israel. He just did. He chooses because he chooses. We don't know why God chooses the elect and passes over others. But what we do know is that what God does, he does for his glory. And that's precisely where Jesus takes us here in his prayer in verse 26. Look at this. He says, yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. It's almost as if he's, he's praying this prayer and he, he just kind of steps back and he goes, yes, because this was your good pleasure. It's just amazing. I mean, think about it. The Father doesn't have to give anyone grace. Have you ever thought about that? He doesn't have to offer forgiveness or grace or mercy, but it, he does. So it's, it's Jesus, what Jesus is doing here in verse 26, he's taking delight in the Father's goodness and the compassion, and it's like he's just lingering. He's, just, he's allowing that to set in for a minute. And he goes on, he says, All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. All things... Once again, question, what things? All things, all means all. Um, Jesus is saying everything that we can see to everything that we can't see. All things are Jesus's. So from the cosmos to the salvation of his people, all things. So let's talk about the things that we can see. Scientists tell us that the Milky Way galaxy 
is uh, approximately 100,000 light years across. Traveling at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles per second, it's going to take, wait for it, 100 million years to get across the galaxy. 100 million years. Question, okay, well, that's just one galaxy. How, how many galaxies are there? Scientists don't know for sure, but between 100 and 200 billion. Dang. And the word of God says this. I love this. Isaiah 48, 13. God says through the prophet Isaiah, he says, my own hand founded the earth and my right hand spread out the heavens. Isaiah 40, 12, he says, or he asked a couple questions here. Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Isn't that cool? I love this one. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Wait a second, God. There's like 200 billion galaxies and you're holding those between the span of your fingers? Dang. Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and, and hills on a scale? Who's able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or, or show him the path of justice? Obviously, that's all, those are all rhetorical questions. Kind of reminds me of, of when the, the Lord spoke to Job in a whirlwind. Verse 27, Jesus continues. He says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires, and here's that word again, to reveal him. So in other words, no one would recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior if it were not for the grace and the mercy of our Heavenly Father. And in the same way, no one recognizes the Father without the Son. So Jesus, he shared a profound mystery here. Now keep in mind, this is not just an ordinary rabbi praying to God. This is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, allowing us to eavesdrop on a conversation between him and God the Father. So what we're seeing there is a divine love between the Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a guy named Cyprian, Cyprian of Carthage. He is an early church father. He was a bishop in uh, North Africa. He sat under the feet of Jerome and Augustine. And he's famous for saying this, he cannot have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Famous, famous quote from Sip. The, the same is true for salvation. So we could say it this way. We cannot have God for our heavenly father who has not Christ Jesus as his savior. So we can't come to God the father any way that we want. We have to be invited by the Son. Back to verse 27. 
Jesus says, no one knows the Son except the Father. So Jesus clearly equates himself with God here, and this is the reason that the Jews want to kill him and, and did kill him. Uh, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The other side of this theological coin is also true. He says, no one knows the Father except the Son. So in other words, no one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son. And then in verse 27, Jesus also says this, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Once again, it's a revelation to reveal. Jesus brings to light, he, he discloses, he makes these mysteries known. And for us today, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, does the same thing for us. Now look what Jesus does next. He says, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him in verse 27, and look at verse 28. He says, so come, come to me. Man, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'm going to give you rest. Now, this is a brand new message from the Lord Jesus. He's no longer preaching to the nation. He is preaching to individuals. So he, switch, he switches from repentance to rest. So in other words, Jesus asked the crowd here, are you guys tired? You guys tired of carrying this burden of sin? Are you exhausted thinking that you can come to, to God on your own terms or through man-made rules or all this, these religious activities that the scribes and the Pharisees are giving you? So Jesus says, come to me. Notice what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, run. He didn't say, run to me. I mean, many times we're too tired to run. Many, many times, we're, you know, we've fallen down. We can't even get up. Notice what Jesus also didn't, he didn't, he didn't say this either. He didn't say, you got to go to church first. He didn't say that. He, he didn't say, hey, oh, okay, you need to go serve the poor first. You need to go read this book first. You, oh, yeah, you need to go get some counseling first. You, you got to go get yourself fixed up. Jesus didn't say that. He just said, come. Just come. This is Jesus' gospel invitation. This is so beautiful. It's an invitation to trust in Jesus personally. Um, it's not to believe in the historical facts about Jesus. That does no good. That's just religious garbage. It's not about religion. This is about a saving relationship where Jesus is Lord and you're his disciple. So Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, capital M, capital E, Jesus. So to come is to believe. It's to believe that Jesus is Lord. He died for your sins and then he walked out of his grave to prove it. To come and believe, it's, it's kind of similar to, to hungering and thirsting. So Jesus says, come to me, all of you. All of you. Jesus invites everyone. The gospel offer of his grace goes to all. And we say, well, wait a second, time out. You just said that he chooses people. Yes, indeed, he does. But the invitation is for everyone. And the invitation goes to all, and out of the all, God will draw himself to those that he has chosen. 
Verse 28, come to, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Weary, it carries this idea. You're just working your point to utter exhaustion. You're just tired, burdened. It points to all the Jewish laws that these scribes and the, these Pharisees, they made up. So the person who is weary and burdened, he realizes, man, it's only by God's grace that he has zero chance of pleasing God whatsoever. So what do we do? We, we come to the, to the end of ourselves as an infant, and we turn to Christ. Look at the promise that Jesus gives. He says, if you do this, I, I will give you something. I will give you rest. All in favor of rest. Amen. Amen. The Greek here is literally, I will rest you. Isn't that good? I will rest you. I will give you rest. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you a break from all of your endless striving of trying to please God. The picture here is that Jesus, he's going to refresh. He's going to revive someone from this long journey. The long journey of what? Well, this long journey of unforgiveness, carrying all this unforgiveness around. I mean, just let me ask you, your own story. Has drinking, has that brought you any rest? Has watching pornography, has that given you any rest? Has marriage brought you rest? Has education brought you rest? What, what about just working day and night, night and day? How about that? You restful from that? How about climbing the corporate ladder? Did that bring you rest? Did becoming the VP of what, did that bring you rest? Has any of that stuff that, that, that you keep buying, the, the house and the car and the home entertainment center, the hot tub, what about those Twinkies? Did that bring you rest? <laughs> you can't forget, don't forget the Twinkies. Oh, this is a great question. Is your retirement bringing you rest? Mm -mm -mm. Or are you now restless than ever before? Woo! See, guys, we can't carry the weight of unforgiveness. Our guilt before a thrice holy God will crush us. And that's why God's grace is so beautiful. If you haven't read the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, I, I would encourage you to read the book. It's by a man named John Bunyan. There's a lead character in the book, his name is Christian, and he's walking away from the city, and the city is called the City of Destruction, and he has this enormous weight on his back. And the only way to get the weight off his back is to lay it down at the foot of the cross. So it's as if Jesus looks at the crowd that he's speaking to, and he, he sees this crushing weight on their backs, and all the guilt and all the unforgiveness and the burdens that they carry. So Jesus, in his grace, he goes, guys, come to me. Question. Where else can we go with our guilt? Who else deals with our guilt? 
Who, who else is going to take our guilt away? Is doing what you're currently doing, is it working? Verse 29, he goes on to say, and this is so funny. He's been talking about grace and rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because I'm lowly and I'm humble in heart and you're going to find rest for your souls. So once again, we have, we have this Old Testament illusion. Moses is uh, talking to Yahweh God in Exodus 33, verse 13. And Moses says to God, he says, well, if it's true that you look favorably on me, well, let me know your ways so that I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. So, so Moses is asking for revelation. Uh, and the Lord replied, he said, hey, don't worry, Moses. I will personally go with you and I will give you, guess what? I'm going to give you rest. I will give you rest. Our God is a God of rest. But Jesus, <laughs> he says, you got to take my yoke upon you. Now, wait, time out. You guys know what a yoke is? Yeah, it's an instrument for work. So Jesus, are you talking out both sides of your mouth because you were just talking about rest and now you want me to go to work? That doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. A, a yoke is this wooden frame. It, it was placed on someone's shoulders and it, it made the load easier to carry. It, it distributed the weight. Um, so what Jesus is saying here, guys, is look, he's not promising an escape from reality. He's not promising that you're... you're that your life will be easy after you believe. He's not saying that at all. You're, you can't escape the problems of this life. But he does promise to provide us with the right equipment. And that's his yoke. The yoke is a, a metaphor for submission. So the law, it became a, a burden. Nobody could ever fulfill the law except for Jesus. And what Jesus did, he perfectly obeyed the law, and then his obedience was then extended to us. He did that on the cross. Verse 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So this is, this is a first century um, speak here. This is a rabbi inviting his disciples to go to school. So as disciples of Jesus, we are not only submissive to him as Lord and Savior, but we are to learn from him. A, a yoke symbolizes obedience, and Christian obedience comes from learning about Christ. And that's why we say this all the time, right? We are to read the word of God by the spirit of God from cover to cover over and over. That's how the Holy Spirit reveals himself in the truth to us today. Finishing up verse 29, Jesus says, here's why. Here's why I want you to learn from me because I am lowly, meaning I'm gentle. I'm a gentle guy. I'm, I'm humble in heart and you're going to find rest for your souls. So he reiterates this promise. Now I love whom Jesus invites, right? He invites everybody, but look what Jesus invites them to. It's rest, right? But wait a second, Jesus, he just said that. No, this is a different kind of rest. 
This rest is eternal. This, this rest is the rest from our sin. This is rest. Um, this is salvific rest. This is heaven. And in verse 30, he says, For my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And once again, Jesus gives another paradox here. There's no such thing as an easy yoke. There's no such thing as a light burden. And what Jesus is saying is, in contrast to the scribes and the Pharisees now, Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light compared to their external unbiblical rules. That's what he's saying. But make no doubt about it. Following Jesus, that's the hardest thing you'll ever do. That is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Don't believe these guys on YouTube with this nonsense that preach this prosperity gospel. Don't believe it. It is the hardest thing you will ever do. But what's the alternative? What's the alternative? I got four thoughts and I'll wrap up. Number one, if you're a disciple of Jesus, praise God. Because you didn't come to that decision by yourself. Praise God. Before you were born, Scripture says He chose you. Praise God. And I think about that, and I don't know if I'll ever understand it. I don't know if I'll get that. My little pea-sized brain, are you kidding me? To think that before I was created in my mother's womb that God chose me to be His child. I did nothing you did nothing, and yet he chose you. Why did, why did he choose you? Because he chose you. Why did he choose you? Because he chose you. He chose to love you. And guys, when we, say, when we think of that, we just go, well, thank you, God. It's, it's, to me, it's more than thank. It just brings me to a state of worship. Like, why? Why? Let me give you a silly illustration of this. Uh, Jackie, if you give me one click here. I want to show you my two pups. That's our babies. That's our babies. So the black one is Oliver. We call him Ollie. The white one is Esther. Oliver is how old, babe? 11-ish, 12-ish. They're, they're both rescue pups. When we got Ollie, um, we, we got him from the shelter, and he was sick. We didn't realize how sick he was. But we were just looking. We wanted a puppy, so we go there, and we spent, I don't know, it was a long time, but we, we finally landed on, on Oliver. And the next day, we take him to the vet, and the shelter told us, you know, he's probably, he probably has kennel cough. So he's a little bit sick. Take him to the vet. He's going to be okay. Well, we take him to the vet. He has kennel cough. He's dehydrated. He's got pneumonia and valley fever. The dog, he's dying. He's dying. Cost us a grand. A $70 dog cost us a thousand bucks. That was a lot of fun. And for the next seven to 10 days, something like that, right? We, we, we took this, this dog that we had and we took him to the vet. And, and, and every morning before the vet even 
opened up, they were picking and prodding Ollie. They were sticking all these things, making sure he was all, had all these fluids. Why did we choose Ollie? Because we chose him. Now, look, I, I know that illustration falls short because any illustration when you talk about the salvation of God falls short. But God gave us that little dog, and he's a joy in our life. The white one is too. She's a little bit more high maintenance. <laughs> but God chose you because he chose you. And because he chose you, dear friends, you now have this unbelievable opportunity and a responsibility to share the same grace that God has given to you with other people. We get the unbelievable privilege to share Jesus day by day. Now, for those of you who don't believe this morning, you're not really sure where you are with this Jesus thing, let me just ask you this. Is God calling you to rest? Is he calling you to rest today? If he is, don't ignore the call. Don't ignore that. Don't wait. Guys, accept the gift. Do some business with God right now. And accept the gift. All you have to do is believe. You simply believe that what Jesus said is true. And uh, you confess your sins with your mouth. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It's a wonderful moment. I'll, I'll, many, uh, there's like 50% of us that we, we don't know how we came to that decision. We don't know exactly when God saved us. And then there's the other half of us who know exactly the date and the time. And that's okay. It doesn't matter where you are. The proof, however, guys, is when you look in the rearview mirror and you see how God has changed you from that dirty, rotten scandal that you used to be. So you, you look just a little bit more like Jesus today. Amen? Amen? So don't wait. Lastly, Jesus provided an invitation uh, to us. I want to provide an invitation to you as well. And that is, I know we've uh, been promoting the foundations class here at the church. It starts in January. Um, I want to invite you to that again. Because it's in that, those series of classes to where we discuss these topics of God's sovereignty, free will, free will, God's sovereignty. You know, we talk about these things in depth. And not only that, but if God is calling you to be a part of this church, then that's the first step. That's the start here um, uh, um, class that we have. Father in heaven it is a big text today. It is a, a wonderful text. It is a beautiful text. May we never, ever, ever tire of worshiping you because of the invitation that you've given to us to come and rest. Father, I pray for those of us who are disciples this morning that you would put people who are not disciples in our path as we go about this week that the people who are crying out for hope and help, that you would, you, you would allow us to have a God intersection with them and to give them the hope and the grace and the mercy and the words of life that you've given to us, that we don't hold these things to ourselves, but we spread it. I pray, Father, 
for those who are still struggling with understanding who you are and what all this means. Lord, I pray that you would reveal something to them today. That they would have their aha moment. And they would cry out and confess their sins and believe. Father, we love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word and for Jesus as our Savior. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.